uh, first thing I'd like to share with you this morning is that the land purchase in Scotland is complete. Uh, they made their payment in December and now they're preparing to move into the next phase. And it's your generosity went a long ways toward helping that event to take place. And when I think about that, what went on in Scotland and what goes on here, and Jason's messages the past three weeks about our vision, the passage that keeps coming to my mind is, where there is no vision, people perish. For a long time, I've thought that was about our vision and how we must set our sights on what we do, and I think that's accurate, but I think it's a much bigger thing than that because I think we can also say it's about God's vision because without God's vision for people, people will perish. There are several passages in Scripture which I think tend to show God's vision for people. Uh, one of them is found in Jeremiah where he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then there's a passage that says, eye has not seen, nor ear has not heard what I have prepared for those that love me. And also when a passage in Peter where it says, the Lord is not slow in doing what he's promised, the way some people understand slowness, but God is patient with you. He does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and their lives. God wants us to change our hearts and the way we live so that we can have a relationship with him, which he had in mind from the beginning of the world when he created Adam and Eve before sin entered in and destroyed it. God wants to redeem lost people. And he's gone to great extents to make it possible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and initially the earth was formless and void and in chaos ruled. And then God set about to create a place beautiful, suitable for life. And at each stage of his creation, he said it's good, but something was still lacking. And I think Isaiah in chapter 45 gives us a picture here when he says this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. So God created the earth to be inhabited by people. There are several states, statements in the book of Revelation that reveal, I believe, God's purpose for creating man. One of them is found in Revelation chapter 3, words spoken by Jesus, where it says, if any hear my voice and open the door, I will come into them and eat with them, and they shall eat with me. While Jesus was here on this earth, he also spoke about this intimate relationship with God when he said, and the passage from John 14 says, then Judas, not Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to, to show yourself to us and not others? 
And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So why did God create the earth and, why, and us along with it? Well, it's a great question, and we're not the first one to ask that. And I think King David asked that in a slightly different fashion when he said, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. God chose to create us out of his great love. And in Jeremiah, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God loved people before he ever created us. God is love. And because of his love and his great creative nature, he made us so we can enjoy all that he is and all that he's created. He made us so we can love him because he first loved us. He created us to fulfill his eternal plan. And the Bible is full of instructions on how we can live and fulfill that plan. And a few of those verses I'd like to call your attention to this morning. And the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now we've heard a lot about those verses the last couple of weeks. Scripture also says that we are workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God had prepared in advance for us to do. And finally, perhaps the most important part we can play in God's eternal plan is to point people to eternal life with God through his son Jesus. And the Bible calls this our ministry of reconciliation. The Bible says that God created us in his image. He created male and female in his image. Well, images are supposed to display the original. They are to point to the original, to glorify the original. So God made humans in his image so that the world would be filled with reflectors of God, images of God. He created us to know him, to love him, and to show him. He created a place for us to live, and he created us to live and enjoy his creation. And he wanted a special relationship with people, people that would recognize him as God, people that would love him and worship him. He created us, but he didn't make us to be robots. He does not force us to be in this special relationship with him. It's our choice. Adam and Eve chose their personal desires above God's direction and sin. And they chose to follow Satan's ways rather than God's way. And so he drove them from his presence in the garden so they could not have access to all the blessings he had created and they could not have access to the tree of life. But God still loved people and he still wanted them to be near him. And he, so he set in motion a plan to redeem lost people. His vision is still to have the people he made to be with him and this very close personal, intimate relationship. But it's only for those who choose to be with him. 
So after being driven from the garden, people populated the earth, and evil again ruled. God was sorry he had created man, and he cleansed the earth by way of the flood. And in Genesis, we can read where it says, it broke God's heart to do that. After the flood, God told Noah, as he had told Adam and Eve, go and fill the earth. He still wanted people to love him and be with him. And eventually God selected Abraham and told him that one day all the nations of the world would be blessed by his descendants. Years passed, and then eventually some of Abraham's descendants found themselves enslaved in Egypt. They were surrounded by pagan gods and had become quite comfortable in their life there. But they really didn't know God. They didn't have anything written down to study, to learn about him. All they had was the oral messages that had been passed down for generations from Abraham and his son to them. Then God delivers them from Egypt. And the exodus of the Hebrews people from Egypt to the promised land was far more than a compassionate act of divine deliverance. It was God calling his people to be his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, his holy nation, that would put him on display for the entire world. They were to show the world how people of God live. So he takes them to the desert so they can learn to obey him and to depend upon him for their very existence. And then they arrive at Sinai. And the events at Sinai have all the earmarks of a Jewish wedding. And in Jeremiah, we're told, especially in Jeremiah, but several passages in the Old Testament, that God takes Israel to be his bride, and Israel takes God as her husband. And isn't it interesting that the church is called the bride of Christ? God continues to display how he wants this close relationship with people. At Sinai, God shapes his people to be the kind of people he wants. He gave them the Torah so they would know his will and know how to have relationship with him. And he instituted this type of relationship when he said, I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. And God tells him in great detail how he wants to be worshipped. It's important that we worship him according to the way he wants us to worship and not how we choose. And that is filled in the books of Leviticus, and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And our readings, anytime we skip right over those, but those are important books to learn more about how God interacted with his people. And then he established the sacrificial system to account for their sins, and he established those special feasts and holidays, seven of them throughout the year, so they could remember him and be drawn into him. And then God has Israel to build the tabernacle as a place for him to re reside among them. And building this tabernacle is no easy task. God took exceptional care in designing the place where he would reside. The construction took about nine months, and they had it finished on the anniversary of their leaving Egypt. And interestingly, God spends over 50 chapters on the design, the construction, and the implementation of the tabernacle, the place where he would live, and only two chapters to discuss the creation of the world. 
at the creation. And again, after the flood, God created the space and he told people to fill it. At Sinai, God tells people to create the space and he will fill it. And in Exodus 40, we can read how he came and he filled the presence of the tabernacle. And then when Solomon built the temple, we can read how God's presence filled the temple. And they knew that he was among them. What I find interesting is that at Pentecost, it says the spirit came and settled on the people and entered them. So God has moved from talking to these people to living among his people to living in his people as he wants this special relationship. So God then has Israel to leave Sinai, head to the promised land, led by a cloud by day and a fire at night. They disobeyed God and refused to enter Canaan because of the fear they had, and God told them that not one of that generation would enter Canaan except for Joshua and Caleb. And for 40 years, God led them through the wilderness and he shaped them and formed them to be the people he wanted and to help them carry out the mission he ultimately had in mind for them. And eventually they went into Canaan. And the pages of the Old Testament are filled with God interacting with his people, trying to get them to carry out his plans and have this relationship with him. They continually struggled in, in disobedience and God sent prophets to tell them, you've got to follow God and to prepare them for the coming Messiah. When they obeyed, God blessed them, and when they disobeyed, they were disciplined. And I think Isaiah 5, verse 4, gives us a picture of how God felt during all this stuff, when God says, what more could I have done for them than I have already done? And then through angels, God chose Joseph and Mary that they will have a son, they'll call him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. So I guess there's still something God does for people. These sins which separate us from God and eventually John the Baptist comes on the scene and he points the way to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God continues to work to unfold his plan to redeem lost man. And then one day in one of his sermons, Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. Jesus is the way back. Jesus is God's plan to redeem lost men. And after the resurrection, Jesus tells the apostles, now you go and you tell everybody about it. You tell people about me. You make disciples. You teach them and you teach them to go and teach other people. And tell them that there's a God who loves people, and he wants everyone with him. And the Apostle John, I think, says it so beautifully when he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And finally, we can see Jesus through Jesus' revelation to John, how it was going to be in heaven, when all those that choose to be with him are gathered around God, worshiping him. And God says in Revelation 21, 7, I will be their God and they will be my children. And interestingly enough, in Revelation 22, it says we'll, we'll once again be in the presence of the tree of life. So we've closed that loop from the Garden of Eden 
where they were removed from the tree of life, where human beings can once again be in the presence of the tree of life. Now, Paul says, God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God has planned a way to make his relationship available to everyone who chooses to obey him. So what's expected of us today? Well, one of the most respected rabbis who lived in the time just after Jesus' name was Akiba. He lived and worked in Capernaum. And one day he was walking down the road, and as he walked, he continually repeated the passage from Isaiah 43, where he says, you are my witnesses that I am the only God. And by the way, Christians have been given that same charge in Acts where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We're to be that, that same charge. And as Akiba walked, he was so intense in, in reciting this passage, he came to a fork in the road where he should have gone to the left and he went to the right. And he found himself facing the gate of a Roman garrison. And he hears him from the garrison a voice saying, Halt! Who are you? What are you doing here? So it shocked Akiba because he expected to be going into his hometown. And he said, what? And the guard responded back, who are you and what are you doing here? And Akiba is supposed to have asked him, what do you get paid for asking those questions? He says, three drachma a week. And he says, I'll give you twice that if you come to my house every morning and ask me those same two questions. Who are you? And what are you doing here? And I think that's something we need to struggle with. Who are we and what are we doing here? Really, what are we doing here on planet Earth and in our lives that we live? If everything that we are involved in as a congregation and as individuals is not focused on following Jesus, loving and worshiping God, and loving others and showing them that there is a God who loves them and wants to have a relationship with them, then I think we need to be very careful that our vision does not match God's vision. We've seen this morning how God has unfolded his vision for people from the beginning of Genesis through Revelation. He wants this relationship with us, and he's already paid the price so that we can have it. So our vision really should be his vision. And we need to be about doing whatever is necessary to let people know that God wants to redeem lost people. When Dane shares our, our work plan for 2018, it's our attempt to explain how we participate in God and his vision so that our vision matches his. If you want to be a special part of that, that's a great thing. If you want to have that special relationship with God, you may need to do something. If you're seated here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as, as, your, as your Lord and Savior, if you've never put him on in baptism, if you've never said, I'll follow him, you cannot have that special relationship that God wants to have with you. If that's your situation, you probably need to do some serious contemplating and let us know and let us study with you. If you've made that decision years ago and you've drifted, then you probably need to do something about restoring that stuff. And you can probably do that from where you sit and probably asking God to forgive you and to help restore you in that relationship. I don't know what your needs are, but if you have any, there will be elders scattered throughout the room this morning. And if you have anything we can do to help you, any way we can assist you, let us know as we together sing.